This is Teach, Travel, Talk About It, a podcast from International TEFL Academy, where we sit down with our alumni, staff, and other members of the TEFL community to hear their stories about teaching English abroad, traveling the world, and everything in between. I'm your host, Jasira Vardak. Hello, everyone. Welcome to all of our panelists. I am so thrilled and grateful to have all of you here today. This alumni panel's topic is returning from abroad, and we are chatting with four of your ITA alumni advisory board members who have made the transition from teaching abroad to returning home. Joining us today, we have Amanda, Michela, Shauna, and Mira, and they will discuss how that transition worked for each of them, how their experiences abroad have shaped their lives since, and what they've been up to professionally in the time between returning and now. Hopefully, hearing their stories will help inspire you as you create your own. So as always, panelists, please introduce yourselves and let us know where you are now, as well as where you taught abroad. Amanda, we're going to start with you. Hi, everyone. I'm Amanda. I taught in Daegu, South Korea for three years, from 2014 to 2017. I'm currently living in my hometown in Pennsylvania, but I'm actually house-sitting in Maryland right now. Hi, my name is Mira. I taught in both Aredia, Costa Rica, and in Monteverde, Costa Rica for about three years in total, and right now I'm living in Colorado. Thank you. Shauna. Hi, everyone. So I taught in Seoul, South Korea for a year back in 2018, and I am now back in my home state of Michigan. And finally, Michelle. Hi, guys. I taught in Phnom Penh, Cambodia for a little over a year and a half. I actually obtained my certification as an English teacher at the Phnom Penh course for my first month there. And I am currently in Missouri, which I have been back to for I think nine months now. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you everyone again. So I know some of you mentioned this during your introductions, but if you could say again how long you spent abroad, and more importantly, I think why did you decide to return when you did? What what went into that process? Let's start with Michelle for this. Originally, I thought I wanted to be in Cambodia for a minimum of two years, and that was my plan up until earlier 2021, mostly because of COVID. So I did begin teaching in October of 2019. And I ended my contract early in April 2021. So it was just a little over a year and a half. Things started to take a downward spiral where most of the world was opening up back in 2021. It was a bit opposite for us. So in Cambodia, we were pretty much thriving all of 2020. COVID was not a huge issue. However, in 2021, COVID did get a lot more serious because of an issue with some people from, I'm not sure where they came from, but they were COVID positive and left their quarantine. So it was kind of a huge situation. They escaped their quarantine facility and infected the city basically oh wow! yeah it was very intense we were in lockdown pretty strictly for most of april and during that time i was starting to re-guess or second guess myself and thinking i don't know how long this is going to last and i've already been stuck in this country without being able to visit home one of the downsides of the pandemic even though it wasn't very serious, was that anyone entering the country needed to pay a deposit of about $2,000 to cover their quarantine and any 
medical situation that might happen, as well as a $50,000 insurance policy. So I knew that if I were to go home during the situation of the pandemic, I wouldn't easily be able to come back. There were a lot of circumstances that kind of forced me to stay put. I was mainly at home. I worked from home. I rarely got to see my friends. It was getting to be quite lonely. And I am a person who likes to be alone, but it got to the point where I felt like I wasn't getting anything out of the experience anymore. The highs had been seen and I was in the lows and I was staying in the lows for too long. So I just made the rash decision to come home. And it was about a month from the time I decided I am going to the time that I actually got onto the plane and left. So it was a bit abrupt and a lot earlier than I expected, but it was a decision that I believe needed to be made at that time. It sounds like that was the right decision. And I I agree. There's a limit to how much alone you can take. I think we've all in the last two years, rediscovered those limits. Amanda, if you could answer that one next. I was, like I said, in Daegu for three years. I actually worked at two different Hoglans academies within the same neighborhood. So I got to know my little section of Daegu quite well. I ultimately decided to come home, I think, just because I felt like it was time. I also had gotten quite lonely And I did have a pet with me, but it didn't change the fact that I had a young niece and nephew at home that I would not known that long. And I wanted to come back to reconnect with family and friends. It's hard being away from all the people that you know and love. Amira, what about you? I know you actually had two decisions to, to return. The first time I came home, I was in Aredia and I was there for about a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And I came home after that time because I'd only thought I was going to be abroad for about four months. And then I was there for over a year and a half. And I was like, what am I doing? So I still question why I came home then. But I think I just was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing and I need to go home. And then... I was very miserable at home, so that's why I went back. Um, I had really bad a reverse culture shock after my first time, and I also think that I came home though for both times for like more professional development. My first stint abroad, I just did TEFL work, so I just worked at an international language school, and that started to feel a little bit boring after a while. Like just wanted to be challenged a little bit more, and mm-hmm. was realizing that maybe I just don't want to teach English for forever. So I should probably go home and try to get a little bit more professional development. And then I went back and worked in Monteverde as a third and fourth grade teacher, so at a public school in Monteverde, but I still didn't have my teaching license. So then I decided to go home after that stint because, and I was older, as in my later 20s, I was like, if I'm going to do this as a career, then I should get a teaching license so that if I do end up going home, then I have more opportunities. And I also have a twin sister, and I was really missing her, and we just had been apart for a long time, and I, I felt like... But my, my first time that I returned, I felt like my time wasn't done there yet, which is why I went back. But the second time, I was like, okay, I feel like I did everything I wanted to do, and I proved some things to myself, and it's okay if I come back and um, think about my career now. That's a really interesting story, and I, I'm going to ask a little bit more about that professional development a little bit later. Shauna, what about you? So kind of some similarities to Mira. I was in my late 20s, and I wanted to transition into the teaching field. I really wanted to be an ESL teacher here in the States, but I had studied abroad before and I had lived abroad before and I knew all of the immense like benefits you can get from an experience like that. So I really wanted to teach abroad before I transitioned into my career here in the States. So I knew before leaving that I wanted to be there for a year. So I fulfilled my contract and then I was ready to come back and use that as like 
a jumpstart to my ESL teaching career here. Thank you, Shauna. Did any of you start looking for jobs while you were abroad or did you wait until you uh, returned home? I'm going to go to Shauna first. Yeah, so I did start looking for jobs when I was still abroad because I knew I was going to be leaving after that year. And this was back obviously before COVID. Teaching jobs weren't necessarily as readily available back then as they are now, um, especially in the ESL field and in Michigan where I was looking. So my options were a little bit limited. So I was looking mainly for something in that field, but I was branching out and just applying to different things. I would say a couple weeks before I planned on coming back. And when I did come back, I was still, I would say for a month applying to jobs, going on interviews. And I would say a month and a half after I returned home, I did get um, an interview for a K-8 public school. And the position was a an ESL paraprofessional, which I would have been qualified to do since I didn't have my teaching license in Michigan yet. I was really happy that job came up so close to my home base. I did start there. And then actually a few months into me um, being in that position, a teaching, an ESL teaching position came up in that same school. And they were able to put me on a program where you can get your alternative certification in the state of Michigan and you're allowed to work as that teacher while you're working towards your teaching license in that state. So it actually worked out really well for me. The timing was great. I was definitely getting a little nervous there for that month and a half, but it worked out and yeah, I was definitely glad that I did start that process though before I left because personally I like to have a routine. I like to have somewhere to go for work. So I was getting a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous, and that coupled with the reverse culture shock, I think, you know, that I would have hit that two-month period without having a job and I would have started to get really down on myself. So I'm glad that I started that process before I left, but obviously be patient with that. It does take time. It takes perseverance. So definitely be patient with that process if you are in that situation. I'm really glad that you were able to find a job before a reverse culture shock hit too bad. I'm curious, I am going to go to Mira next and she's got a similar experience, but before we do that, how did you find your job, Shauna? So I was mostly uh, looking on like job search engines, um, like Indeed. And I was also looking at colleges because there are quite a few colleges in the area that I wanted to get a job. So I was looking at different study abroad or ESL kind of positions there. And I did end up finding my current job through Indeed. So I just applied from Indeed through the employer website. And then from there, it was pretty um, straightforward. But yeah, I would definitely recommend job search engines. Schools will have, schools and colleges will have their own as well. But I found it a little bit easier to look on Indeed and just see all of them at once in my location that I was looking for. So Mira, I know that you had a a somewhat similar experience in the sort of program that Shauna is talking about or the track that she was on. So what was that process like for you? Did you start looking for work in Colorado while you were abroad or did you wait until you returned home and and how did that function? Yeah, I started looking while I was still abroad. I don't like to not have a job. I'm like you, Shauna, where I want routine and I, I just like to work. And so I looked while I was in Costa Rica and I found, I applied to a bunch of things I remember and I had some interviews while I was abroad as well and my experience has been like a domino effect so I got my TEFL degree which led me to the international school. The international school led me to an ESL teacher at a middle school in Denver. That led me to my third and fourth grade job in Monteverde which led me to my fourth grade job now and I also was in an alternative program when I got back my second time where I am now. My school let me do an alternative program while I taught the same time. So that's how I got my teacher's license. 
Just for anyone who's listening, Mira did an alumni webinar in December on her time in Costa Rica, and she talks about this process there as well. If any of you are interested, uh, definitely check out previously recorded webinars, which you can access in the job search guidance manual and look for her webinar. Amanda, I know that you had a, a little bit of a different experience and process for your return abroad. Did you wait until you were home to figure out what came next, or did you start thinking about that or start that process while you were in South Korea still? Uh, yes, around I think my last year or just before I started my last and third year in Korea, I made a plan where I wanted to travel a bit more before I started job searching because the vacation time in Korea was fairly limited, and I wanted to do more travel again before settling into a, a routine. So I made the plan I saved to do a backpack trip in Central America, and I also volunteered in Mexico for three weeks. I came home from Korea, and then I think I was home in Pennsylvania for about six weeks before I left for my trip. And then when I came back, I had also made the plan to go to NAFSA, which is like a national conference for international educators, because I'd wanted to job hunt at that time. Thank you, Amanda. So finally, uh, Michelle, I think you also started before you left Cambodia. I can't recall, but what was that process like for you? Did you start looking for jobs or start working before you left, or, or did that happen after you came back? Yeah. So I had a second job in Cambodia, part time as an online English teacher. I added that job uh, late 2020 to supplement the income that I lost. So by the time I moved back to the U.S., I had already had one other job as an online English teacher. I never intended to stay for very long, so it was never really an idea to get a job in the states, other than maybe a small part-time job just to kind of fuel my bank account, but I never did that. One thing about me is I definitely like my rest, so <laughs> I wish I had more work ethic and I was really on my grind, but that's just not who I am. I'm a chill day-by-day -day person and I liked the freedom of not having a full-time job so much that I didn't want to really do anything else. But I have been working online and up until the whole ordeal with China. I wasn't really worried yeah. about getting any other jobs, but I did work for a Chinese company and I still do work for this company. However, they have cut pay as well. I ended up getting a second online teaching job and I'm just currently doing that until I go to my next destination. So just a little carryover. I enjoy having the flexibility of working from home. And of course, the travel bug is always within me. So I think it's best to have money to be able to travel and not worry about restrictions with vacation time and all of that. Yeah, technically, I didn't look for any job. I just kept my job as I had. You bring up a good point. You need that money for traveling. I think uh, everyone here, we're all nodding along, and I'm sure I've got some invisible nods in the audience as well. Money for travel is, is important. The ability to travel is, is also important. I'm going to address this question uh, as well. When I transitioned from teaching between Taiwan and Spain, I came back to the US for a little bit and I taught online. And obviously, that was pre-China. And then when I went from Spain back here to the US, I had been doing some freelance copy editing and copywriting. And so that really 
similar to you, Michelle, that helped me with my transition and eased me into the next phase of work. If you are thinking of returning home and you are sort of wondering how to do it, it can definitely help to either make those plans in advance and start looking for work in advance like Mira or Shana did or having a transition plan in place like teaching online or freelancing or what have you. Our next question, and Amanda talked about this a little bit already. What did you do after your contract ended? Did you travel? Did you return home straight away? I'm going to go to Shauna first for this one. So I did return home right away. I think it was literally the day after my contract ended because that's when they kick you out of your apartment because the next teacher was going to be coming in. But the reason I did that was because it worked out with my contract with my hogwan that I was at where we had our one um, week of vacation literally I think it was two and a half weeks before our contract ended so I was able to take that and I went to Busan on my little mini vacation so I think if I didn't have that so close to when I was leaving I would have definitely wanted to stay and travel a little bit longer but that kind of gave me that last little bit of time that I wanted to spend in Korea because I had done a lot of traveling in different cities in the the country throughout my year like little weekend trips but I really wanted to go down there and obviously I wanted more time than a weekend for Busan so I was really um, glad that it worked out with the timing that I was able to do that and then return home right when my contract ended so that saved me a little bit of money too. What about you Michelle? You left it in COVID circumstances and for COVID reasons. Did you return home straight away from there? Do you do any traveling when you return to the U.S.? So when I made the final decision to come home, I was at the point where my visa was expiring and I needed to renew it. Usually I would just renew it for six months at a time in a normal circumstance, but it was the perfect timing to really push myself to that decision. And so I had a one month renewal. And by the end of that month, that's when we were going into the strict lockdown. So unfortunately, I didn't get to do any traveling. When I left, it was more of a scrambling to get everything completed and getting my apartment cleaned out and making sure I have my negative COVID tests and I was just ready to go. There was a lot of stress going within me during that time. I had always imagined that I would take the time to travel after finishing teaching because Cambodia is super close to Vietnam and Thailand and uh, Indonesia. Unfortunately, it's something I'll have to complete another time. I I did travel within, I want to say, three months of being back home. I went to Costa Rica, loved it there. Monteverde, beautiful. And I was in New York in December for Christmas time, my first time in New York City. And um, I'm actually going to Guatemala next month. So I do travel when I can. I'll be back to Cambodia anytime I can to finish that out. Amanda, uh, I know that you talked a little bit about your backpacking trip, but did you have anything to add to that that transition time and what you did? Yeah, I actually had a quick bit of travel before I came back. I had adopted a cat in Korea, so I saved money to take a pet taxi up from Daegu to Seoul and I stayed in Incheon. I got an apartment off of Booking.com for three days because I also had some last-minute things I needed to take care of. So I did do some last-minute sightseeing in Seoul and Incheon before I boarded my plane home. What about you, Mira? So the first time I left, I did not travel. I got a job as an ESL teacher, and it was 
towards the end of the summer, so it started again really soon back in Denver. And my very best friend who I'd met in Costa Rica, and I was dating somebody from Costa Rica, we just eked out all the time we could by staying in Costa Rica. So I started my job, I think, a week after I got home, and it was really intense. And then my second time after I left Monteverde, another dear friend that I met in Monteverde and I, we traveled for a month and a half in South America. We went to Chile and Peru before coming home because we we're like, yeah, we're already this far, but we might as well keep going. And that was the better decision. It's interesting too, because of course you've got the two experiences to compare and contrast. Next question, and I'm going to go to Amanda first for this one. How do you think your experience abroad has shaped your life since returning home? So you can talk about, were there any skills you learned that you brought back? Have you chosen a new career path. How did that experience abroad shape your life here in the U.S. after the fact? Well, Korea stuck with me a lot more than I thought it would because like, my first year was not an ideal first year. Uh, there were still good times, but after staying there for three years, it was really hard to leave Daegu. It still feels like my Asian home. And I, when I traveled in Central America, my first instinct instead of going to Spanish would be to speak Korean. My brain would say foreign language, Korean. It stuck with me and I, it took a long time with the reverse culture shock to not miss Korea and have that urge to immediately go back because I did feel like what could I benefit from going back? Nothing new career-wise, but I have a great love for Korea is what I've gained as well as knowing that I can do hard things and live overseas with anxiety. So that's what I took away from it. And I have much greater confidence in traveling independently, like with no one, no other person because of that experience. That's so wonderful to hear. And so true too. I, I agree. I think guessing many people would agree on this, but living abroad and, and teaching abroad, or even just living abroad for another reason really does give you a, a greater idea of what you're capable of doing. And that's, that's a really wonderful thing to bring back with you. Ashana, what about you? How has your experience or how did your experience abroad and in South Korea shape your life since returning home? I mean, it 100% jumpstarted my uh, career here that I was envisioning for my life for several years. And I don't know how that path would have looked without my time abroad because it really did make me a more confident teacher. Obviously, it looked great on a resume and, you know, just being able to have that international teaching experience. It, like Amanda said, it makes you a better problem solver. It helps you think more critically, overcome challenges better, whether you're living abroad, teaching abroad, studying abroad, whatever it may be. I really, and like I said, I had studied abroad before, so I knew I was going to be able to get those benefits out of it. So that was definitely one of the main reasons why I wanted to do that because it is so amazing for you. Yeah, I think I've heard that from people who continued into education, that it really did jumpstart things for them. I wonder if that's the same for you, Mira? And if so, were there any other experiences from being abroad that, that shaped your life since returning home? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's like in numerous ways that it's shaped my life. Definitely the career. I really thought I was going to be a teacher. I studied sociology in college and just really like culture. But now I'm a fourth grade teacher. Also, all the dearest people, closest people in my life are from my time abroad. And my best friends are all from my time abroad. I just went back to Costa Rica and my best friend got married and I visit Costa Rica a lot. It's a place that feels like home and I never would have thought that I would just continuously visit a country, but I, I do and it just feels super normal because so many of my people are there and I just love it so much. I was in like a relationship for a very long time that I just shouldn't have been in and when I went to Costa Rica, we broke up and that completely just, you know, my life is completely different now since I've been abroad and sometimes it's like shocking when I think about 
when I really think about it, sometimes I'm sitting in my car, I'm like, my God, I can't believe I did that. And my life would have been something else if I hadn't gone abroad. And it's like a lot of pride and it's a lot of, I did this big scary thing that I was so terrified of doing, but I did it and it ended up being like some of the best times of life. And I also suffered a lot. This is why we're here on this call to talk about reverse culture shock. So that was something that I went through, but it was so worth it. So it's, it totally changed my life. I have similar moments to that as well. Things would be so different if I didn't do this. I met my wife in Taiwan and if I hadn't gone, I wouldn't have met her. So right, right there, that radical shift, but even in smaller ways, small and big ways, it does shape things. What about for you, Michelle? You're the the most recently returned. How has it shaped your life since? I think the number one thing is just my appreciation for where I come from and the things that I have. Being an American who, you know, just really is very, I think, spoiled is the best way to explain it. Something that I think a lot of us take for granted. That was something that I really was faced with. And I had to think it's not okay to just assume that you should get everything just because you need it because there were so many people that didn't get help um, during the pandemic and families that you really saw suffer and a lot of my students they had to drop out of school because their parents couldn't afford it or they had to go to a Cambodian school because the international school tuition was just too high and it definitely changed my perspective a lot so I am careful not to take necessities for granted when I have them. And I feel a lot more empathetic as well. I know what it's like to be an immigrant and not know the language and kind of be uh, scared and confused. So now I feel more empathetic with people who are in the same situation in the United States. I definitely grew up. I moved to Cambodia a few months after turning 21. And I had barely lived on my own at that point, let alone in a foreign country on my own. So I was super scared, just threw myself into the unknown and navigated my way through that. Simple things like cooking, I didn't know how to do, but now I can uh, cook for myself and I'm a lot more confident being alone. So that was something that I really was able to overcome and I'm not embarrassed to go to a restaurant and eat by myself. That was something I never would have thought that was okay, but I did it while in Cambodia and I found that I do enjoy being alone and going to new places and being different from others and uh, just being confident in that. So that was definitely the, the biggest thing that I brought with me. I had always planned to be a teacher even before getting into the world of TEFL and international teaching. My original plan was to be an art teacher, but after teaching English for two years now. It's definitely the career that I am going to continue with. My main focus is English rather than art, but education for young learners, kindergarten to maybe fifth grade. So I'll keep going in that direction. I think I think many of us here on the panel and myself, we went abroad when we were a little bit older. And so it's so interesting to hear and to remember the ways that it can shape your life when you go when you're younger and how amazing that can be. Because it really is amazing to have those kinds of experiences shaping you when you're a little bit younger. And yeah, really changing your perspective on the world. And, and I would agree too that that understanding of privilege and but also understanding how places differ from where we are from. 
this feels like a good point for John's call in question, which was, what do you all miss most about living abroad? John says that it feels so difficult to transition back home after the excitement of travel. And I absolutely feel that, John. We'll start with, I think, Shauna on this one. What do you miss most about living abroad? There's definitely a lot to miss, but I think for me, living abroad feels like a fresh start. You're in a new place. You know, not a lot of people know you. It just feels really exciting and really thrilling. And obviously seeing new places and experiencing the culture is amazing. I think it kind of depends on where you are in your life too. Like I was ready to come back and kind of start a new career. So I was ready after that year of amazing culture and travel. But yeah, I think it just depends on where you are in your life. If you're younger, you might want to, you know, spend more time like I did when I was in my earlier 20s. I was not ready to settle down yet, but it just depends on where you are. Thank you. Uh, Amanda, what about you? What do you uh, miss most about living abroad? The, the one thing that came to my mind right away was public transportation and not having a car. <laughs> no auto insurance would be great. So that's the thing I miss the most, as well as I agree with John that, that life abroad does seem more exciting. But if there's something I've learned, it's like you can bring those global elements to being home. So you can see things that are you know, in your own backyard, or you find a way like what you miss about abroad, and you bring it to home. And that helps ease the culture shock and reverse culture shock a bit more. But besides every traditional thing that people would say about abroad, it's the public transportation is what I miss. (laughs) That public transportation. I miss that about Taiwan. I mean, I live in Chicago, where we've got public transportation, but it is nowhere near as fast or efficient or clean or easy. Mira, I'm going to go to you on this one and then we'll move to our next question. I think I miss how life felt a little bit more spontaneous living abroad. Like just little random things could happen that just don't really happen here for whatever reason or maybe I was just more open to them. When I was abroad I just walked around bright-eyed and like bushy-tailed and everything was amazing to me and in Monteverde I'd find some crazy bug like walking home and it would make my day and here that just happens less because there's less cool bugs but that's just an example. I Everything just felt so exciting. You know, you'd wake up every day like, what's going to happen or where am I going to go? And and people were just down to travel. People were down to do things with you. Everybody here, you know, you start having kids and you start having these harder careers and people are just less available to explore. Not that the U.S. doesn't have things to explore. It's just that people are, when you're abroad, you're there to do that. So I think that's what I miss the most is just people's desire to explore and the availability and the spontaneity that I felt was in everyday life there. Yeah. Again, we're all nodding along for this one. That sense of spontaneity and that sense of possibility and and looking up. I did a lot more looking up. Amira, I'm going to come back to you for our next question, because you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about reverse culture shock. What was the hardest thing to adjust to when you returned personally or professionally? How has your perception of your home country changed after your time abroad? So when I first got back, I was very depressed looking back. I had fallen into a huge love in Costa Rica, which is everybody's dream. And so I had that and then it ended. So I was devastated. And on top of that, I was just, I vividly remember standing in line at the pharmacy. In Costa Rica, you can get birth control over the counter. And I remember that I like couldn't get birth control. I went to Planned Parenthood and was paying a bunch of money. And just that little thing, I was so mad and I was so angry. And I remember my mom was like, why are you so angry? What's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just so angry and I hate it here. I just felt very negative. Like all these little things would just make me feel 
terrible. I can't even give you specific examples. I just felt angry and I felt depressed. And even if I heard Spanish, like like I took a Spanish class because I wanted to keep up my Spanish, I would just get in my car and be crying. Just like I had a really bad time. And now I'm like, you were depressed. But back then I was just like, what's happening? Did I ruin my life by going to Costa Rica? Because now I hate it here. And as time went on, it got better but still not good enough, and that's why I went back. Now, I'm fine, but I think that I've just realized in the States, I think this was something I hated when I first came back, but people, I'm not saying people don't work hard in other places, but people work really hard here, and they have very tight schedules, and you just don't have time. You know, you just have way less time in the U.S. to, to kind of sit around if you have a nine-to-five job. So I think that I've realized that's just the way of life in the U.S., and you can make time to, to enjoy but it just was very obvious coming from Costa Rica back to the U.S. of Wow, people work really hard here and they work all the time and it's always about getting ahead, which I think is really great in some ways. And I'm totally down to get ahead and to work on myself and improve. But also there's a lot of setbacks to that as well. And I hated that for a long time when I was feeling really depressed and now I'm better. But I, I don't know. Reverse culture shock shocked me. I couldn't believe how I felt and it was really rough, but still worth it and I think I've grown as a person and I went through something and that's powerful too. That definitely resonates with me as well. Some of those small things that just really were incredibly frustrating to deal with coming back and also too what you said about time. I miss time in other countries and specifically how they they dealt with time and how they deal with time. Shauna what about you? What was hardest for you when you returned and how has your perception of of the U.S potentially changed? I would say once I did get my teaching job in Michigan, it was a little bit challenging to adjust to the differences in the workplace and teaching in the U.S. versus teaching in South Korea. I was at a private school in South Korea and I'm at a public school in Michigan. So obviously there's different like laws and regulations and expectations and things like that. So um, getting used to that and getting used to just the difference between the two places and what you're expected to do, the workload of the students, grading, all of the things are different. But I would say when I took the alternative certification program, you do have to take and pass the ESL test for your state. And obviously all of that stuff is included in the test. So studying for that test really helped me like, okay, I'm in Michigan now, I'm in a public school, these are the things I need to know. But that was probably one of the most challenging things. I would say how I view the U.S. differently. Definitely what Amanda mentioned earlier, public transportation. Like why we have, oh, I don't know, in Michigan especially, in Detroit, there's none. It's terrible. So that, and then I just felt like so many things were efficient in in South Korea that are not efficient here in the States. It just takes so much longer for everything. And I definitely got a little bit used to everything being so quick over there and maybe got a little bit of impatience when I moved back. But I'm adjusted to it now, I would say. I can agree with what you're saying there and that that impatience. Michelle, we'll go to you next. I think you talked a little bit about it, but but what else was there for you? Okay, immediately, weirdly enough, the weather was extremely difficult for me to adjust to. Being in a tropical country that was hot all year round and just had two seasons wet and dry to the Midwest where we have four seasons in one day. I I struggled a ton. Even though I came back in May, it was pretty warm, but my family used the air conditioner and I never did because electricity is so expensive in Cambodia. So I just suffered or I used a fan and I grew immune to my sweat and the heat and I was okay, but <laughs> they had it on 60 degrees 
daily, 24 hours a day, and I would shiver so bad I couldn't sleep. And washing my hands in the bathroom, I was so cold. And I was like, why are you guys not cold? Is it just me? And it was definitely because of that, just the change there. So the weather, first of all, and of course, being back with my family after I had lived alone for two years, it was a bit overwhelming after a while. At first, it was exciting, but I think I kind of overstayed my welcome to the point of wanting my own space. Another big thing is just the cost of eating and going places and traveling, of course. It is 10 times higher here than it is in Cambodia and something that I struggle with even today just because I was so used to being able to spend very little for whatever I wanted and now I get very little of what I want and it's all of my money so it's super complete opposite in that regard. I definitely feel you on the heat one. My perception of heat and humidity radically changed after living in Taiwan. Amanda, we'll come to you last on this one. What was hardest and how have your perceptions changed? I think the hardest thing about coming back was adjusting again to the healthcare. Like Mira mentioned, I had national healthcare in Korea. So the cost was cheap and ear, nose and throat doctors were everywhere. So I could just walk in and get an appointment and get medicine. It was like seven or eight dollars. One of the good things I thought about when coming back was the air quality that was a little bit better here. So that was a good thing. So I adjusted to the air, the healthcare and having having someone to talk to about the experience of living overseas was hard. You know, I know there's the ITA community, but my family has not had similar experiences. A lot of my friends have not. So in my immediate vicinity, there weren't a lot of people to talk to about reverse culture shock or the experience and the tough time that I was having. They couldn't relate to it in the same way that my friends that I met overseas could or that the people in the ITA community can. That's also very true. Yeah. We have a call in question and then we'll be going to our final question of the evening. So Ambrosia asks, what are some ways teaching English abroad can help someone grow professionally if they do not want to be a teacher after living abroad? And Shauna, you said that you had an answer to this one. Yeah, I would say there are so many ways that teaching abroad is going to help you in whatever career path you choose. You just need to look at what career path you want when you come back and think about what what qualities or traits do I need to have to be successful in this career path and then think about how your time teaching abroad is going to help you achieve that. I mean, for one, you're going to learn how to be a better communicator. You're going to be working with people who their first language is not the same as your first language. So you have to learn how to be a better communicator. You have to learn how to be respectful to the people that you're working with and their expectations of a work setting is going to be different than what you're used to. So you have to learn how to adjust to that. You have to learn how to be flexible. These are all things that are going to help you in any career path. Obviously, when you're teaching, you're going to learn how to have better presentation skills, better public speaking skills. And then like we mentioned earlier, you are just going to learn how to be a better problem solver. When you're living abroad on your own, you have to learn how to solve problems on your own. And sometimes it might be a little scary, but that will definitely help you in the long run in your personal and in your professional life, no matter what career path you ultimately choose. That was a phenomenal answer, Shauna, and I agree with you on every single point. I think the only thing I would add is that teaching abroad or living abroad in general can often make people more willing to take a risk. And I think that is a quality that can help you both personally and professionally. Obviously, you want to be smart about the risks you take. Do a little research, make sure that you're making the right decision. But it certainly helped me 
be more willing to make big moves and take big steps and go outside of my comfort zone professionally, personally too, but definitely professionally. So yeah, phenomenal answer from you, Shauna. We have our final question of the evening. Did your experience teaching abroad live up to your expectations before taking off? If not, what would you do differently to ensure a better experience? And I am going to start with Mira for this one. My expectations were pretty low when I first left because I was really scared. I was 25. So I would say that my experience was above and beyond what I ever could have imagined because especially that first stint in Costa Rica was the best time of my life. Amanda, what about you? Oh, yeah, they definitely exceeded my expectation. Like I said, the first year was not that great. I actually had a lot of anxiety during that time because I was just so insecure about teaching and living in another country. But I'm glad I stayed two more years because I got to know the Korean culture much more in depth. I made more friends. I had a more positive experience. The one thing I would do differently before going over is that I took one of the first jobs I was offered and I would have now if I could go back be more patient and wait for what felt like the right job and not be so rushed to go to Korea because I think that would have helped me find a a more positive experience in the beginning. But again, totally don't forget the experience I had. Loved the time I spent in Korea. Thank you. What about what about you, Michelle? For this question, I feel like it's a yes and no kind of answer. Before going, I definitely imagined that it would be this incredible, crazy experience where I was traveling to a new country every weekend and made a bunch of money that I would be able to bring back home and Another thing with teaching specifically, I imagine that my students would not know any English and that I would be really just bringing them up from very limited skills to full-blown English speaker. All of those things were false, but it exceeded my expectations overall because it was an experience that I didn't see coming and I was able to just be amazed by and appreciate even more. I think One thing that I've learned just traveling and going to new places is that there's always a way I envision it before I get there. But once I'm there, it's completely different. But it's better just because it's it's real to me now. It's not just a dream, just like a perfect dream. It's reality in the best way possible. So I definitely learned so much and was able to do something that I never saw myself doing. But now it's the regular and normal life for me now. So I'm very thankful for that opportunity to just have a lifestyle that is so exciting and just keeps getting more exciting. And just having the experience of being a teacher for the first time and with the kids that I had, and they were all so smart. They were so enjoyable. And I learned a lot about myself through their eyes and my coworkers as well, and just friends and the family that I ended up creating there. So overall, it exceeded my expectations, even though it wasn't anything how I imagined it. Not a disappointment at all, but reality in the sense that life is never going to be perfect, no matter what country I live in or what my job is, but I made the most of it in the best way. So what about you, Shauna? 
Yes, it definitely lived up to my expectations. It was a beautiful country. And the thing that really solidified my experience for me was that I made sure to set aside time, mostly on the weekends because of our teaching schedule, to go around and travel around the country and see different cities. I learned from my mistakes the first time I lived abroad. I lived in England um, for a year, years before I moved to Korea. And I was in grad school, so obviously not a lot of free time. And I went home and I was just like, I can't believe I just lived in a different country for a year. And I feel like I barely got to travel around the country. And that was one thing that I really wanted to do different when I moved to Korea. And I definitely felt feel like I accomplished that. So I would definitely think about the things that you want to accomplish before you go and really make those a priority. So I left off the last part of this question and I'll have everyone just answer it quickly. But would you go abroad again? Would you teach abroad again? Let's start with Shauna. That's a great question. At this point in my life, I don't know if I would go long term. I still love traveling, which is one of the reasons I love being a teacher. We get some nice breaks. So I use those to my advantage and to travel around. I absolutely love going out of the country. I love teaching. But at this point, I'm now in my 30s. I feel like I'm settled down. So I don't know if that opportunity would present itself again for me. But I guess never say never. What about you, Michelle? Yes, I am currently doing research. I'm going to take a break the rest of the year because I have another job opportunity abroad that isn't related to teaching. But while I'm gone, I'm going to do some research on different places to go to and hopefully find a place that I would like to live and teach in long term. What about you, Amanda? Would you go abroad again, teach abroad? Yes, um, in my late 30s single, uh, don't have a house. So absolutely, if the opportunity or I, I decided that was my next move, I already work remotely with my other job and teaching online. So ready to go. And last but not least, what about you, Mira? So I think that right now, I want to be in one place for a while. I think it's good to stay somewhere for a while, like kind of open some doors if you stay. But I think that in the future, something that will be important to me is to, if I have kids, to go abroad when I have kids and teach somewhere else. I just think it would be such an impactful, important thing. And I saw a lot of people doing it in Monteverde when I was teaching there. And I was just like, wow, I'm definitely doing that. But even before kids, I can see myself doing it again, too. So yes. And just so everyone knows, we definitely do have alumni who teach abroad with children who teach abroad with family definitely a possibility for anyone all right that's going to wrap us up this evening thank you so much again to all of our panelists for being here all of our audience members i really appreciate everyone's thoughtful and wonderful answers today so finally once more thank you so much i hope everyone has a wonderful evening and a lovely weekend you've been listening to teach travel talk about International TEFL Academy podcast, hosted by Jasira Varnak, mixed and edited by Ian Kelly Davis. For more information about teaching English abroad, visit internationaltefelacademy.com or find us on social media at International TEFL Academy. Thanks for listening.